0: And now, The Low Post.
1: Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. Basketball's back. All-stars over. Leave it in the rear view mirror. We had some real games last night. Western Conference playoff implications everywhere. 12 games, some big ones to talk about. Dallas continued its ownership of the Phoenix Suns with a home win that was kind of a comeback and then kind of a runaway and then kind of demoralizing for the Suns. And then there was a horrible fan interaction with... Fans calling KD names and then trying to be his friend. Oh, sorry, KD. Didn't mean to blah, blah, blah. Losers. (laughs) And then the Oklahoma City Thunder. Gordon Hayward's first game didn't play that much, but they laid the smackdown at home against the LA Clippers, who are becoming everyone's chic pick to win the title. I don't disagree with it. Love the Clippers. Not my pick to win the title, but they're awesome. Oklahoma City has now won the season series against the Clippers, won the season series against the Nuggets, And it's tied 2-2 with the Timberwolves. They are one game back in the loss column. They have a very manageable schedule. And I think they want that number one seed. And I think they told us that last night with how they played. And then the Warriors and Lakers. The battle to get out of the 9-10 bracket. Is it hopeless? All these teams above them are doing them no favors to help us all sort this out. Mo Tequil, former video coordinator for the Clippers illustrious LA Clippers tenure now writes for the athletic for Bleacher Report has a video series called one Mo thing where he teaches you stuff about basketball. Mo,
0: how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Zach. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's, I'm just happy we have basketball back, like the couple of days off with no basketball. It's, it's, it's fun the first night. And then after that, I'm kind of looking around going like, so what
1: do I do? You know, what else is exciting? (laughs) What's that? We're getting closer to the Victor Wembanyama 5x5 five five game. It's coming. I've been talking about it all year. He's my. He's been my pick since before the season started. We have not had a 5x5 five five game in a long time. There's only like two dozen that have ever happened, I think, in recent history anyway. And Victor Wembanyama was one assist away last night. He had five steals, five blocks, more than five points, more than five rebounds, and four paltry assists. If it's not him, it might be one of the Thompson twins. They flirt with it every once in a while. But it's coming, Mo. It's coming. No one loves five by, I don't know what it is about five by five games. They're just, I get very excited by them. No, I mean, it's,
0: it's, first off, it's an unbelievable run where you look at it going like, damn, this guy literally did everything he could possibly do on the court with all of that. But we got to put a five by five watch on now. Like I want, when uh, Aaron judge was chasing the, the home run record or whatever it was, you know, they had little boxes of whenever Aaron judge was at bat. I want that now. I want that when when Victor's close, I want I want a I want
1: a little box of whatever game we're watching of the five by five. Yes. Can some can can he go for it too? Like keep him in the game in a blowout, throw some nonsense passes just to try to get assists. Kings beat the Spurs last night. And you know, look, here's where we are in the Western Conference. We have a four team race for the number one seed. The all of these races were in play last night in head to head games of, of great interest. That's Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Clippers, Nuggets. That's going to be the top four in the West. Then we have a four team race currently for spots number five and six, AKA escape the play in. That's New Orleans, 34 and 22. They've won, I think, seven of eight now. Yeah. Dallas, 33 and 23. They've won seven in a row, have not lost a game since acquiring PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford, and have in that stretch thumped the Thunder at home and thumped the Suns at home. The Suns fell all the way out to seventh, 33 and 23, same record as Dallas and the Kings kind of everyone's forgotten team. If there is a team that is going to fall from the top eight into the nine, 10 slot, give the Lakers and the Warriors hopes of getting into the top half of the plan. The schedule would say it's either the Kings or the Suns who have two of the hardest schedules left. I think the two hardest in the West, um, I think people just sort of default to the Suns' high-level talent and say it can't possibly happen to them. The Suns are quietly seventh, which is kind of a disaster. And then, so two of those teams will make the playoffs without a fight. Two will go through the play-in. And then the Lakers and the Warriors who played last night, the Warriors win with LeBron James sitting. Uh, the Lakers are ninth at 30 and 27. The Warriors are 10th at 28 and 26. And, the you know, look, I, I've already seen the rundown for NBA today, which we're going to tape in about three hours. To the surprise of no one, the lead segment will be Warriors-Lakers, two of the transcendent stars in the history of the NBA, two glamour franchises. And we keep asking the question, Mo, every day on TV, on every show we do, which team has a better chance of making a long playoff run? That's a cool question. Right now, they're ninth and tenth. They're playing each other in the loser's bracket of the play-in tournament, and one of them will be out before you get to even the halfway point of the play-in tournament. The other one will have to win another game just to get in. So forget the long playoff run. They're three and four games out of the loss column of 7th and 8th. And I think last night, with the Dallas win, with the Kings win, with the Warriors win, with the Thunder win, these races are going to be wild every single night. The swings are going to be absolutely wild, and the stakes are enormous I mean the Suns are all in the Mavs are 80 percent in um the Lakers and the Warriors are aging and trying to save their seasons the Nuggets are defending champions the Clippers are almost all the way pretty much all in like this is the the Wolves went all in this is really exciting stuff I mean
0: every night's going to be a a deal where after the after the games you got to run to the standings to see what's changed Because it's just going to be like that. It's so tight with all of these races that you just kind of outlined perfectly where it's like, oh, wow, this loss. Now the Suns are going to be eight, whatever. Like it's going to be one of those things where you got to stay on top of it in that sense. And this is kind of perfect for the NBA in terms of what we were talking about with the plane a long time ago. It's made all of this matter in a way where we're a lot more. Locked in in terms of seeing who's going to do what seeds teams are competing. There's not going to be a lot of nights off for the LeBron, even though he took last night off off with the ankle injury. You can't afford that, you know, with not going to be a lot of rest days in between with all those things. The Clippers, they need to keep rolling with everything they have in terms of just keeping the train going and moving forward. All this stuff, everybody's gunning for it. All these seeds matter. And then it matters kind of like we're going to start looking eventually at playoff matchups. Right. And like, how do we do you want to stay out of this bracket or what? The West is such a wild crapshoot. It's kind of like it doesn't matter. They're all it's all chaos. But I think that's something to keep an eye on as we go through the stretch run of this season.
1: Look, here's the reality for all of these teams from New Orleans in fifth. And by the way, the New Orleans has a, a two, two road games already done. They play two more roads at home. Their schedule is pretty manageable going forward. Basketball reference has New Orleans. 89% chance to have a top six seed. Uh, playoff status is a little bit uh, less than that. It's probably about 65 70%. But New Orleans is in sneaky strong position. And last night's win for Dallas was a major swing win in the math. Now, the math will change tonight again. But right now, those two teams have solidified themselves projection system percentage-wise as big favorites to get seeds five and six. But all of these teams, no matter where you go, you get in at seven, eight, six, five. You're facing a road where you're going to have to go through three potentially barring an upset and I do think there is some upset potential at the top of the west. You're going to have to go through Denver, Clippers, Thunder, Wolves, three of those teams. Like I don't really care how good you are. That is if if your definition of a long playoff run is conference finals and you got to beat two of those teams, like the Warriors are two games over 500. The Lakers are three games over 500. They got they're both hot. They're both playing well. I believe in what the Warriors have going right now. But you got to demonstrate a lot more high-level play for a lot longer than those teams have to put 8 wins against two of those teams on the table. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing about the playoffs like
0: it's especially in the Western Conference and it's been that way for a long time is every matchup's kind of a disaster in the sense of like it's it's chaotic. There's things about it that would you'd be excited about as a team that's scouting it. You know, preparing for it, and there are teams you're just there are things you're terrified about, and that's in every matchup across the board. I mean, you know that everything we're saying, like if the Warriors sneak in and end up being the eighth seed, you know, after the playing tournament, that's tough for the Wolves. You know, like I know they've had a lot of run with that, but the Warriors aren't going to be afraid of them. I know the Wolves aren't going to be afraid of them either, but. That's a that's a tough first round matchup for the number one seed to have to go up against a team with the pedigree that the Golden State Warriors have. Like that's kind of the the juxtaposition of of the Western Conference in that there's no easy series in the first round, right? Like the the one seed would normally get a series where it's like, okay, four or five games, we move on, we're good. And it's now it's like, oh, this might go six or seven just
1: on that. If the Wolves and the Thunder are one and two. And the Wolves, because I think they have like seven home games in hand or something crazy like that, and a pretty decent schedule. They have like, they're being given like a 60, 65% chance at the one seed, period. Hmm. The Thunder, after last night's win, have the best point differential in the West. They have something like a 30% chance at the one seed, and then a 40% chance at the two seed. So they're like, we could get them at one and two. And then you're looking at two teams. Who have not won a playoff series, period, at seeds one and two, which is very, very unusual. And look, I and and it's an obvious thing, but if Golden State and the Lakers are nine and ten, that's where we end up. And the math is overwhelmingly—I'm not overall like each of them has like a thirty-three percent chance of getting up to eighth Mm -hmm. and above um, by most of these systems. It's an obvious thing, but if that's where they stick at nine and ten. Those teams can only be eight. Those teams can only play the number one seed, whoever gets through the play-in tournament. And Minnesota-Golden State would be an incredible matchup because you have this titanic size team, the Wolves, against this little Draymond at center, pass-and-cut-and-shoot, spread-you-out machine in the Warriors. And, I mean, not to get sidetracked, we do this all the time on TV. We ask the question, who do you think has a better chance at a long playoff run, the Warriors or the Lakers? And I would define long as... 2-2 2-2 in the second round. You got a real shot to get to the conference finals. Anything after that is like, I gotta see a little more. I what is your answer to that question? Because I, I I have one that's starting to crystallize now, but I'm I'm curious of, of yours. For me, it's
0: the Warriors, and just the sense of like, I love the way they're playing now. They've kind of have that identity of this is what we're going forward with with Draymond coming back. They're 10 and five. They're over the past 15 games. Curry's playing at an unbelievable level. I think you're even beginning to see, it's only been two games, but I think you're going to see chemistry built off the bench with Clay Thompson and the bench unit, and and eventually I think that's something that Chris Paul should man as well when he comes back, and that can be kind of the that whole unit kind of run together. But I think you're seeing everything sort of mesh together now that Draymond's back. I think he's made the Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew, uh, uh, Andrew Wiggins action work between the two of them, and I think that kind of plays. Perfectly, you got to talk about pods, you know, and just what he's contributing. And I mean, like, I just think with them, I think they have that there. I think when you look at them over the past fifteen games, they have a a number one offense in offensive rating. They have a, I think, it was seventh in defensive rating. Like that's a that's a profile. If we saw that throughout the course of the season, going like that's a team that can make a deep run in the playoffs. You know, obviously we know the caveats that come with it, but that's what i look at with the lakers i still don't trust their offense i'm still they are lebron is just as amazing as he is he's also old and i'm I'm concerned with that being a thing where things start to creep up this ankle injury is it going to be nagging is he going to play some nights have to take a night off here and there like those are the things that worry me with the lakers
1: you know to be clear these are beyond generational talents we're talking about at the top of these rosters hall of famers galore if i were minnesota or oklahoma city i'd be scared seeing either of these teams on the other side for me flawed as they are uneven as they are but i'm kind of with you and you said the word that's been coming to mind for me which is identity the warriors were so tantalizing because because of their shared history and their unique style of play they're always like just this close to clicking. And like some games you see you'd see it for five minutes and then it would go away. And then you'd see Draymond get suspended and this guy's out and Chris Paul's out. And it just they were always like right there. It feels like like they know because of what they've done together, they know what that feels like. They know what their identity looks like. I think they've found it. I think this is a real thing. The starting five with Pajemski and Kaminga is working. Draymond at center is working. Clay had a bad shooting game last night. I thought he he moved the ball well, which is the number one thing I want to see from Clay. Don't force it. Just make the extra pass. You're still Clay freaking Thompson. People are still going to fly at you when you come off pin downs. Just find Trace Jackson Davis. Find Draymond on the roll. Find your pin down guy. I thought he was doing that. Chris Paul will help. Moody came in last night and gave him good minutes. Hasn't been in the rotation much lately. It just feels like they've figured out who they are. And the Lakers, maybe they're getting there because of their, their starting Hachimura and Reeves finally. I think Dinwiddie will help them. It just doesn't it doesn't feel as seamless to me as it does with the Warriors. I think the Warriors right now they have me on high alert for like, okay, all right, like this is interesting. They yeah. they they figured out a style and and a, and a and a rotation that works. Um, let's talk about Mavs Suns and specifically um what have you seen from the Mavs in the seven-game winning streak, half of which has come with Washington and Gafford. Gafford came off the bench, I think, for the first time last night. Lively came back in the starting five. What was interesting to me about last night was how often and how much they went with Kaliba at the five, which was reminiscent of how they beat the Suns in the playoffs two years ago. Just spread you out. Luka just hunts for his matchup, gets his matchup, plays bully ball. you got to send help, and there's just shooting everywhere. That was an interesting— because. When they got Gafford, it was kind of like, well, now they have the same prototype center for 48 minutes a game. What does that mean for Kle- for Kleba? And I think last night was a, a smart move by Jason Kidd and the coaching staff saying, no, no, we still have this card in our deck. And if he's healthy, we're going to use it. This team, look, I've said for like, it's obvious. Luca is terrifying. Like, absolutely right. yeah. terrifying. I want no part of that dude in a playoff series. The long-term risks of these trades are what they are. Like they they gave up a lot to chase their tail after losing Brunson after Grant Williams not working and on and on and on. PJ Washington is a role player for them. I mean, like that's what life is next to Luca. He's a better role player than Grant Williams, particularly on offense. Is he better enough to justify what they gave up? We'll see. I mean, he mostly stands around, a couple dribble drives here and there. Solid defense last night, guarding KD a lot. Um, but but right now they look good and like I. They'll be underdogs whoever they face, but I. I wouldn't want any. Their their offense is legitimately terrifying.
0: Oh, it's 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 a a nightmare across the board because we didn't even mention Kyrie and all of that, right? Like, okay, and then uh, with everything you have there, it's okay. You found a way to slow down Luca. Cool, he's just going to kick it to Kyrie, and now you got to contend with that on a second side and and the action coming coming downhill at you like that's kind of chaotic and all that stuff i think the important thing with the pj washington trade is it allows them to play Kleba at the five right and now kind of opens that door for them and puts them in that position where it's like okay now we can kind of really spread you out a little bit more and i think that opens that door in that way it's it's one of those things that you 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 outlined the risks perfectly of the trade, but just looking at it now, like those guys kind of fit in seamlessly right off the bat. I mean, you know, it's Derek Lively gets to come in and he doesn't have to worry about fouls, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. He doesn't have to worry about the fouls. Just play hard, dude we got a guy cover you. If, if if we need to play big, we need to play small. We can go with Kleba. We can go with PJ Washington at the four and really kind of play the game and, and spread the floor and make defenses chase us and work with all of that stuff. Like, I think there's just a lot of things with it. And I think, you know, the, th- this is fun for Luca. Now, like this is an area where there's just so many weapons he can go to with everything and so many ways he can pick his spots. I mean, he had uh Uh, an assist, I forget where it went, but from the post last night, like they're going to find ways to move him around the court now and play him in different areas because they're able to kind of have more room and more space with all those things. The Grant Williams stuff didn't work, but I think they're going to get what they wanted out of PJ Washington, not necessarily the same volume or whatever, but I think the ability to play that way with PJ Washington that they wanted to get when they had with Grant. And I think the most important thing now is they found versatility. Like my thing in in the playoffs is you got to play multiple ways because a team's going to stop you at a certain point if you just play one way. They have ways to play. They have now different ways to play and throw different things at you. The Suns were struggling, man. Like they, you know, when they went small, they had to take Nurkic out. And then from there, the offensive rebounds started blowing up for the Mavs. They started crashing from the corners, pulling up stuff and, and getting, you know, two, three opportunities every time down. And that became
1: a problem for the Suns that they couldn't handle. They even started switching with Lively on defense mm. a, a, on a few different times, and he's he has the speed to do that. I mean, look, all of this is working because Kyrie and Luka have, have meshed even better, I think, on offense than even the optimists thought. They're scoring 121 points per 100 possessions with those two on the floor. That's better than the number one offense in the league, which is now Boston, by the way, has snuck into the number one spot. And you mentioned the chemistry, like, there's always going to be a little your turn, my turn with two ball handling stars. That's just the way it is. That's life. That doesn't really matter when both of them are very dangerous spot-up three-point shooters, particularly Kyrie. It doesn't really matter if your team is engineered to Luca pick and roll on one side, kick to Kyrie, attack a closeout, or a second screener coming up to get him on the other side. That's not stagnant, your turn, my turn. And they're co- they're screening for each other more of late and they're running that Spain pick and roll yeah. and they could, either one of them can do any role in that. So like Ky- it'll be a Kyrie Gafford pick and roll. And then Luca will come from the baseline and slam Gafford's dude with the back screen and then veer out somewhere for a three. The more they cooperate like that, the better it is. And you mentioned PJ Washington enabling more Kleba at the five. I actually think that and Josh green finding his, his stride again all year, despite the fact that he was playing well and making corner threes, I kept saying like, I just don't know if Derek Jones Jr. is, is the starter on like what this team should be. And now he's not. And they're using him in the right doses, like an 18 minute, a guy off the bench, come okay. in and guard the best guys on the other team. This team is dangerous. Like, I don't know what they, it's hard to know what dangerous means. Cause so much is going to come down to playoff matchups and just winning around in the West is really, really hard. But I I would not want to I, I for any of these teams like, I would not want to face these guys they're scary, yeah. And
0: one other thing too, you've you've said this a lot in the past, and I think it's it's an underrated point about Kyrie. He gets them like four or five more transition possessions a game, and it's 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 he he's playing faster, he's looking to push right away, and things like that. Like I think that's something an element that they hadn't had in the past with the way Luca likes to kind of play the slow down and let me control everything method. I think adding that with Kyrie to kind of kick that transition up and get those just, man, if you get three or four easy baskets a game, it's huge. It makes a big difference. And I think that's the stuff that like you're seeing with the Mavs kind of all come together right now. And it's like you said, like it's, it's just like I, when you see the draws for the playoffs, you know, there's a team that's just going to be like, oh, we got the Mavs like, this is going to be tough. Like it's a challenge. And and I know that's what I said about the West is going to be like that the whole way, but you got to be afraid because this team has, they made it to the conference finals when they weren't supposed to, they were uh, uh, Luca can go off at any point and can be the best player in any series. You know, he, he has that capability. Like you just have to be worried about that. And you got to, and you got to watch for this, you know, throughout this, we got to see how it plays out. They're on a nice run right now, seven in a row. Let's see how it how it plays for them, but this is a this is a team that can definitely put an upset out there. I mean,
1: you could argue and look, over a two-week stretch, this argument could be rendered invalid by one hot streak by another player. The only series in the Western Conference in which Luka is not the best player is a theoretical Dallas-Denver series where Jokic is the best player. Now, right. look, they could get Phoenix and Durant could average 35 a game. Um the Kawhi-Luka battles in the playoffs, like, for the first five games, it was kind of like, oh, Luka's the best player. And then Kawhi scores, like, 90 points in yeah, game right. six. It was like, oh, actually, Ka-, and guards everybody. It just starts taking the ball for people. It's like, oh, Kawhi's the best player. In in a two-week stretch, any of those guys are that good. But that's how good Luka is. Kyrie has been unbelievable for them. Just And you nailed it on the pace. And Luka has brought into the pace, too, which people did not think he would do. Skeptics did not. He wants to walk it up. He wants to be... You know, the puppet master, control everything, Mm -hmm. jog it up the floor. Um, He's not even, like, whining to the refs quite as much in the last couple weeks. Um, Don't jinx it. I know. (laughs) Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket. With Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L O W E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Because of the eBay Motors, you're burning a rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about
1: the Suns. Obviously, no Beal last night. Just got Royce O'Neal. We'll see how much that helps their team. I didn't like how they played last night, and I feel like the continuity in their offense has backslid a little bit in the week leading up to the All-Star break and again last night. Part of that might just be the in and out of Bradley Beal and and just his lack of availability. But I just... And look, when, when you just have two of the three, it becomes much easier for the defense to hide weaker, smaller defenders. That's the whole thing of Beal is like, oh our little point guards on Beal, like he's going to start setting screens for everybody. And without that, you can put two like-sized guys on Durant and Booker. Not that there's any like-sized answer for Durant, but you know what I mean? And at least make a go of it switching. But I mean, I just thought the last few times I've seen Phoenix, including last night, I just haven't felt like much synergy on offense between Durant and Booker. And that worries me. And Frank Vogel, just not trusting any of his backup big men, at all anymore worries me. I This team is... St- Look, if they have the three guys healthy, which they have not had very much, they're dangerous to anybody. But this team traded everything for Kevin Durant and then they traded everything they had left in the cupboard for Bradley Beal. All these pick swaps that they've split a million times. They're seventh right now. Like, this is... It's not a brewing disaster. That seems a little strong because the playoffs are always there. But if, if they're in the play-in tournament and that's their I mean and they got to get on a run against Elite team after Elite team it's just, that's just too hard man I I don't know what have you seen from Phoenix lately because I'm I'm not worried but I'm not like loving what I'm seeing this is a team that screams to me that like I wish they had a true setup man
0: like just a guy and and you know with I understand like with Beal out it, you know that's something he could have done I know Booker's been doing a great job playmaking but I want somebody to set Booker up like I think and 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 more so than than even just Beal. Like that's not the answer to me. Like they need somebody that can run them into, hey, just handle the ball while Kevin Durant and, and Booker are running floppy. Just something even as simple as that. But they don't it's it's Booker's gotta come down and set up KD or KD's gotta come down and set up Booker. And it's not really like a, a, a good flowing action. I don't think that's something that I would want to have KD do a lot of. And I think you know, as you need to be able to add that stuff there with, with book. And I just, you know, have him work a little bit more off the ball and run around and, and, and attack off that stuff, coming off screens and pin downs and, and working into those things. And you just don't have that ability to do that. And then on top of all of this, you know, the turnovers are just absolutely killers. You know, they, I think they had seven in the first quarter last night. Like you're just watching this stuff going over and over again. It's, it's, you know, balls flying every which way that leads to transition points the other way that leads to opportunities for the the other team to attack and so on. And I just feel like when I'm watching the suns, it's, it's a level of frustration in that they don't necessarily know what they want to do on offense. And part of that is because Beal's been gone for so long, you know, and, and, and when he comes in the lineup, it's a few games and then he ends up missing a few more. And, and there's, it's that challenge of trying to figure out the chemistry, like, my concern for them is they're running out of time, you know, because these guys all need to play, you know, something to like 30 games together. And and I don't even think we're going to get that. Like, I don't know if they're going to have enough time to build that chemistry that you're going to need in the playoffs where you have to improvise something or whatnot. And I think for me, that's the concern for me with their, with their offense and, w- and with the team in general.
1: Yeah. There's been the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot more. All right. Durant. Go one on one or Durant Nurkic pick and roll with Booker standing in the corner and even more of the flip side Booker Booker cooking. And look, he's had some games where he's been just killing people down the stretch and Katie's just chilling in the corner, which if it works, it works. And even when it works, it's I don't know that either player is psyched about that arrangement. But last night, like, as the game's getting away from him, there were a bunch of possessions where KD just kind of dribbled and dribbled and ran a little pit, And, like, Booker's in the left corner with Tim Hardaway Jr. on him. And I'm like, man, can we get – can you move, man? Like, can we get you to set a screen for Durant? Like, put Tim Hardaway Jr. in the action. And there was just nothing going on. But, look, their talent is their talent. But this season is not – gone to plan. And I don't want to hear anything about how, well, this is year one with Beal. You know, it's a two-year window, a three-year window. Like, the window is now. The window yeah. was the second you made the Durant trade. It was urgently, we have to win immediately. No one last year was talking about, oh, this is just year one of Durant, Booker. I mean, I, mean, I guess we were because they didn't play that much. Durant turned his ankle in the warm-up line his first game but it's not like anybody was making excuses for them in the playoffs they're the only team that took two games off denver the whole playoffs like their expectation was to win a championship right away like that's the deal sorry and now yeah. they're 7th 7th and it's not even that the rest of the
0: west is getting better You know, the Thunder aren't going anywhere anytime soon. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the Wolves. Denver is not going anywhere anytime soon. The Mavs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Like it's, it's, it it is now because there's no other opportunity. So West is only going to get tougher going forward in the, in, in the future years. And they don't, and it's not like they have means to go get better, you know? And I think the, I mean, the Nurkic stuff, he's been great for them this season, but there are times where he's got, they got to play small. And and that's going to hurt them, and that's going to put them in a bad position because I don't think they're well equipped to even play
1: small. There are teams that could outsmall them. I think, although at full strength, you know, at full strength, if they put the big three—O'Neal and Gordon out there, or O'Neal and Allen, or Gordon and Allen—that's pretty goddamn tough to beat. And when they go five out is when a Kogi actually becomes more playable for them because you can kind of play like the center, just screen and dive to the rim. Otherwise, a Kogi is like only playable if he just, it just happens to be one of those games where he makes a couple of corner threes where nobody's guarding him. Um, Speaking of tough, by the way, Phoenix has easily the toughest remaining schedule in the entire league. And it's not one of those things where you look at the winning percentage and all, but that's really tough. And then you look at their home road, it's like, well, at least like six more of them are at home. They've already played two more home games than road games on top of having the toughest remaining schedule by opponent winning percentage. Like Suns fans don't want to hear it. If Beal don't come back soon. And I, I guess he's on track to come back soon. You just never seem to know. And even if he does, like it might be an uphill battle for the Phoenix Suns to not be in the play in tournament. That's where we are in the Western conference. I mean, the Mavs, I mean, the Mavs won
0: the playoff, the season series off of that, right? Like, was that the, uh, uh,
1: the deal I, for haven't, now- I haven't checked.
0: I have I'm not quite in head to head checking mode <laughs> across the board yet. But yeah, that's a challenge for now. You have to win an extra game. You can't tie the Mavs, you got to beat the
1: Mavs. If I'm correct, if I'm wrong, I apologize. The single most interesting thing that happened last night, in my opinion, in the whole league it's not like I watched every game, I watched three of the 12 games start to finish. Um, the most interesting thing I saw was in the Clippers Thunder showdown at the top of the West the Thunder starting the second half with Isaiah Joe over Josh Giddy. And the reason they did that is because Ivica Zubats was guarding Josh Giddy and not guarding him at all. And without Josh Giddy there, he kind of had to guard Chet Holmgren. And they did not want him to guard Chet Holmgren because they wanted to take away Chet Holmgren's pick-and-pop threes by having Kawhi on him or whoever, whatever wing. And they didn't think Zubats could drop and recover. And sure enough... Like, they tried to finagle all these schemes. Like, okay, um, if Chet screens and pops, Zoo, you're going to drop, and then someone else is going to come up from the wing, and you can drop back and cover who's ever on the baseline. And it didn't work, and Isaiah Joe got a bunch of backdoor cuts right away. And it, it, it was interesting to me because the giddy variable has been sitting there kind of festering all season. And to his credit, he keeps shooting the open threes that people give him. He made a couple last night still a very good player but it was interesting to me because a this is why they got Hayward and they're going to ease him into the lineup and b that substitution in the regular season in a game a lot of people are watching suggests to me obviously that the Thunder really wanted to win that game really wanted to win the season series against the Clippers and really would like to get the number one seed if they could that was a we're a serious team taking this game seriously adjustment by Mark Dagnall and it worked and man this team is <laughs> we consider and talk about how young they are how they didn't get another bulky center although I like the B- Biombo didn't play last night but they, they kind of did on buyout not bu- via trade but everything I just said about Chet Holmgren and the adjustment to start Isaiah Joe to force Zubats to guard Chet Holmgren that's why they didn't get a rim running you know paint clogging center Because their drive drive attack system does not work with that kind of player on the floor as well. Anyway, this team look. I mean, (laughs) they haven't won a play. They haven't made the playoffs as 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 currently constructed. We don't know what they're going to look like in the playoffs. You hear skeptics say, "Well, Shea's not going to get all these calls in the playoffs." I don't know. He's not like a. He doesn't strike me as like this crazy grifter who's just just making stuff up and getting calls. He's an MVP candidate. They're just elite on both sides of the ball. And, you know, it's a credit to um, Sam Presti. Like the first time he had a big three, Harden, Westbrook, Durant, those guys are picked second, third, and fourth in the draft. Like everyone kind of knew those guys were going to be good. This is a, this big three that's happening now. And not, not enough people are talking about Jalen Williams, who is a flat out star and is going to be more than that. These guys were picked second. That's Chet, twelfth and eleventh. Now he didn't pick SGA. Obviously, he acquired SGA. Um, this I don't. What did this team's really goddamn good, man? What did you see last night from from what What of this game interested you? What do you think of the Thunder going forward?
0: Yeah, just to kind of piggyback off your talk of the substitution, the Isaiah Joe starting in the third quarter. I mean, that was that was a playoff move right like that's a playoff adjustment and that's a playoff adjustment you would make after a game like okay we're changing our starting lineup whatnot like that's their that's the thunders first playoff adjustment if they if they don't make that if they don't make that a thing going forward here on out right there the thing that stood out to me zach it was i rewatched the third quarter last night because i found that quarter just fascinating and the thing that stood out to me was the thunders defense these dudes do not stop coming like there is a play to talk about uh, uh, Jalen Williams. You know, there's a play where it looks like Zubach has a clear dunk. No, Jalen Williams comes V-backs or drops down, blocks that shot, leads to a transition. Isaiah Joe gets a dunk in transition. It's a, a, another possession where it looks like it's a clear turnover. Like the Thunder have the ball are about to run. I think the ball goes off Aaron uh, Wiggins' leg. It looks like Amir Coffey's about to get an easy bucket. Shea and Wiggins both recover and block that shot, and they don't get a bucket off that. Off of a two-on-one, uh, a Westbrook-Zubach two-on-one versus Shay. Jalen Williams comes in at the end and blocks Zubach. Like They just keep coming defensively, and then off of that, they run so damn hard. They were just running the Clippers off the court in transition. It was just flying up the court over and over again, and with that kind of speed and the way they were playing and with that defense... Like I just kind of looked around and was just like oh okay. <laughs> like, you know, I've been kind of uh somewhat of a skeptic. Like I'm not sure what they could do. You know, we'll see what the playoffs look like. I'm still worried about never having won a series. Uh I'm I'm more and more inclined to be like, oh, I'm in. Like this team's a am massive threat. Yeah. Like you just I'm in. And 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 I want to give Dagnall a lot of credit. Like he's been phenomenal. You know, I just wrote a piece recently, just of plays I like that I've seen recently. And he had a great end of game play where he used Shea as a decoy screener to get Aaron Wiggins a bucket to tie the game against Toronto. I remember like, that game. Yeah, they won in overtime, I believe. Right? Yeah, they won, and, and they won an OT. And it's just like you're you're watching these things, and you're just seeing all the small stuff that they're doing. It, and he's not afraid to make a change. He's not afraid to to call different plays out and and get them moving. And I just think defensively. It's. I mean, they're so tough, and I haven't even talked about just Chet being at the rim. You know, the uh, PG tried to get him and missed a dunk, but Chet altered that. PG uh, went for
1: it, though. I let PG PG
0: cocked it back and it went was, for
1: it. If you're gonna go for it, go for it. Right, and then
0: and and Terrence Mann tried to get him in the third quarter, and 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 Chet was right there, and it's like you know, I just think there's a, a defensive like intensity within that team that's just so hard to. uh for teams to figure out how to attack and how to go through it. And they're able to hide Shea. Uh, Last night, they were able to hide him a lot more. I thought the Clippers could have done a better job trying to get Shea into more actions and try to attack him a little bit more. But even then, it's it's still a tough, tough go. I mean, Dort, unbelievable. Like, he strips PG clean when PG's trying to go for a shot, and that's another transition bucket. Like, they just – their ability to turn defense to offense – might be one of the best in the league. And I I, I think that's really going to be the thing teams have to figure out come playoff time. Well,
1: that's the that's going to be the bellwether for them and why the matchups are going to be so interesting because if they run into at any point an extreme ball security team like the Mavericks, who I believe have the lowest turnover rate in the league, which is a Luka thing, it's going to be interesting because the Thunder are a bad rebounding team. They're bad on mm-hmm. both ends of the floor and they make up for it by they force more turnovers than anyone. They're number one in, in forcing turnovers. And they turned that in offense. They had nine steals and 11 blocks last night against the Clippers. Those are 20 defense to offense transition play. I mean, if you are blocked at the rim, that's almost a steal. Like, yeah. and that, I'm not going to read too much into the game for the Clippers. The Clippers shot 37% at the basket last night. That will probably never happen again the rest of the season. And Russ had just maybe the worst game he's had the entire season. This is the first time with the Clippers, at least that I could, I'm sure there's been another game or two, but where it looked like Lakers, Russ just out there throwing stuff up at the rim and hurting his team. I don't expect that to replicate itself, but they need those, those plays, um, to get moving and and they also make up for it because they are a great rim protection team. Chet may get you. Zoo may be able to put him under the basket and and bully him around. And he he's skinny. He makes up for it by being extremely long, having incredible timing and having incredible instincts and being able to block shots that normally don't get blocked. And he did that last night. Um, I want to talk about Shea. Kind of a ho-hum 31-point performance last night, you know. 12 of nineteen, three of 6 from 3. I like when he gets a little frisky from the 3-point arc. And I think he's going to have to do that in big playoff games because teams are going to sell out on his drives. And he's a good shooter. Only 6 free throws, 31 points, 8 assists, 2 turnovers. Um, Part of the reason I'm in on this team as a legit contender is I think his game will carry over to the playoffs. Like I just think this guy is that good. Um, I know he's not as tall as the prototype Kawhi, Durant, even Luca, just like number one ball handlers. But he's so fast and so smart and so long that I he just doesn't really have any problems getting his shot off other than like, you know, Tatum gave him a little bit of trouble here and there, Kawhi a little bit here and there, although not last night. Um, and you can see, man, when he gets a defender on him that he knows is just not on his level, and last night it was Harden and Amir Coffee. We get him on switches. He just cooks them like they have right. no shot. His step back, he knows I can get eight feet of space on my step back. I think he's a. I think he's absolutely one hundred percent legit. And I think MVP right now is pretty close to a toss up between Shea and Jokic and Lucas coming. Giannis is right there. Th- those four guys are above and beyond everybody else. I have a, I have a take. I'll I'll get to in a second. The Bucks have to figure some stuff out for Giannis's case to really crystallize. But look, thirty one a game, six and a half assists, leads the league in steals. Fifty five percent from the floor, thirty eight percent from threes um the advanced stats are always going to lean jokic because he's just unbelievable and like the traditional stats are 26 12 and 9 it's ridiculous he had a tri- he had a 19 rebound 15 assist triple double we need to come up with a word for triple doubles where it's over 15 in every category right. that should be like a special thing um and he's got all the advanced stats but shay's close close enough that when you look at the importance he has we're talking about how young and untested the thunder are this is the guy That makes them steely and confident, and like everything about his game and his mentality. And the fact that, hey, man, when everything's tough and defenses are swarming and the crowd's going crazy, like, yeah, we're young. We got a bunch of 20, 21, 22 year olds. This dude's in his prime and he's ready. And they all feel that. And if you told me today you had Shea MVP or you think Shea should be the favorite for the MVP, I don't really have a strong argument against you. I, I actually. It would be I, I haven't dug deep enough yet, but he would be very, very close to having my vote. As of now. Not final. Not final. As of now.
0: Yeah, I think the the one thing with Shay too is that he's really mastered the stop on a dime at the elbow pull-up with everybody so afraid of him getting to the rim it kind of makes him that three level scorer to the degree obviously with the three-point shooting has has come along this season but that's where everybody's going to kind of lay off on him but I think his ability to do all of those things like the, the um he can do pretty much everything on the court offensively minus deep three balls like in that sense pull up threes attack the rim everything like that dropping dimes the pick and pop game between him and Chet is perfect for them i mean they got zoo in one of those situations i think in the second quarter where they and by got the way chet-
1: i i keep talking about how mature the thunder are for their age how they do not look like a young team and there's a million examples every game what you just said the minute they put joe in the game and the minute they saw zoo on chet pick and pop with chet just like I mean, there's no wasted possessions there's no oh we got to figure out how to get to that no we're going there
0: right and that's, and, and that's him, too, understanding the plan. And, hey, let's go to work. Let's get to this stuff going through it. Like, I loved Shea. I loved him when he was a clipper. I loved him, you know, with the Thunder. I, he, he, I've been on the Shea bandwagon for a long time. It's, fine to, fine, it's fun to see this crystallize. It'd be a lie if I told you, oh, I thought he'd be an MVP at some point. But, like, to see all of this come together and him hitting all the high marks that were just absolutely absurd across the board. And it's just at the end of the day Zach he's just a competitor man he competes so damn hard on all of these plays and everything like that it's it's the whole team doesn't take a playoff you know and it's 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 him not a great defender still tries a ton defensively you know leads the league in steals and i i have my question about steals in general in terms of being a good good marker for defense but he's there and he's competing on all these things he's contesting shots he's fighting through everything Honestly, like that is your leader of your team at 25 for a very young team. Like, that's impressive. Like, that's a guy you're like, this is a dude we want forever. This is a dude we want the face of the franchise, all that stuff. And we saw these things with like the Clippers. I mean, I, I made fun of the, the Clipper fans at the time when when Shea hit the game winner against the Golden State Warriors in that series, uh, that that last series with KD and they were all going nuts. But that was like the starting point of like, OK, there's something. He's a gamer. He's ready to roll with all those things. And I think we've just seen it continue to grow and, you know, credit to the thunder for allowing it to, to really blossom. Cause that's part of it too, is sometimes an organization can stifle that. I think they've done a great job with his development across the board. And I'm just, I'm just excited to watch him in the playoffs because I really do want to see how this team reacts to the intensity level. And more importantly, the scrutiny you get from the other team. Because as a video guy, like when we get to do playoff scouting reports and whatnot, we know everything. We know everything you want to go to for the most part. You know, you're not. It's not a lot of surprises that come to us. We've scouted the hell out of you at this point. Let's see how you adjust to it. That's what I'm excited to watch when we get to the playoffs with this team.
1: You know, I've said many times that Warriors Clippers series was a big moment for SGA because he was a rookie. I think he was a rookie. Was he a rookie or second year? I I think he was a rookie. Um, And he got thrown in in his first playoffs to guarding the freaking Splash Brothers in that kind of Cuisinart offense where there's copyright David Thorpe that there is no analog to anywhere in the NBA. And he was up for it. And last night, he guarded Paul George a lot of the game. And that, by the way, is the whole conception of the Clippers is you are going to have a very hard time, quote-unquote, hiding your defenders against us because you need three good ones to guard our three guys. And they had Dort and Jalen Williams on Kawhi and Harden, and they didn't want Giddy on Paul George, and they didn't want Chet on Paul George, and Shea's got to do it. And guess what? Shea was fine. Shea slid yeah. around. Every, he's great at getting around screens. His arms and hands are annoying. He's intense. Look, I don't know what's going to happen with this team, but I, I think this team is really good. And I do think last night was a signal – they would like to get home court or close to it if they could. And it's funny to see Denver go the other way. I don't know if you saw Michael Malone's comments yesterday about home court versus health, but this is rational. Like last year, haven't won a title, tons of pressure on us. We'd love to get to number one seed. Get us in as much of a comfort zone as possible. Give us home court every series. We're dominant home team. This year, been there, done that, confident in ourselves, comp- played great on the road in the playoffs last year. We'll we'll take our chances. You know, would we like to not see Phoenix in the first round? Sure, whatever. But the, or Dallas or whoever it ends up being, it's not like they're going to stop trying. We're not going all out for it because we've proven enough to ourselves. Can I give you an MVP an MVP thing real quick? Yes, please. Look, I picked Boston to win the title. I'm still picking Boston with. I'm not like Perk. I joked with I'm with Perk on NBA today. Yesterday. I think Perk has picked ten different teams to make the finals combined <laughs> in the last two seasons as the seasons go on. I love you, Perk. I picked Boston, Denver, Boston over Denver to start the season. That was my final pick. I'm sticking with it. Love Boston, best team in the NBA right now. 44 and 12, 45 and 12. I don't know. Blew the out of the Bulls last night. Everyone played well. It's starting to happen, Mo. There is a burgeoning Tatum should be MVP take that is making its way across the NBA media sphere. Cheney said it yesterday on. NBA today perk has been on it a lot all year and it defaults to the whole best player, best team thing. Like, well, oh, that's, isn't that what MVP always is? Okay. Like, look, he was my preseason pick to win MVP. Well, we made predictions statistically. There just is not a case for him over these other four guys that I've mentioned, like advanced traditional. There's just, there is not a case for Jason Tatum over Jokic, SGA, Luca or Giannis other than Boston has the best record and he's the best best player on the best team. Boston has the best record, partly because Jason Tatum's amazing, but even more than that because their entire top six is amazing and they had four guys who had legitimate claims to make an all-star team and that doesn't include Drew Holiday or Al Horford. Their depth at the, their top end depth is the number one reason why they are this good. I'm number, number one, whatever. It's 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 just apples to oranges. And I get the reasoning. He was my preseason MVP take. I love Jason Tatum. He's a first or second team All NBA player every year at this point. I think I've had him first team the last two or three years. This year without positions, it's kinda I don't I haven't started to think about it yet so much. Um I just don't I don't know about you. It it's hard. His numbers are are and 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 look, I can see the counter argument. self-expanding saying, well, his numbers don't compare to those other guys because we have all these guys who can produce so many points and so many assists and so many rebounds. He doesn't need to average 34 a game like Luka or 31 a game like SGA. That's fair. The advanced numbers, he's a distant fifth. Like whatever advanced numbers you want to look at, he's a distant fifth. I just, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a little bit of a hard case to make. I don't know what you think. I'm actually with you
0: on this. And and the reason why too though is I think he's the best player on the Celtics team. Oh, it's not I close. He's the best I, player on the team. I don't I don't think he's the most important player on that team. Oh. I think that's the – and 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 are you I gonna say real, Porzingis? I think it's I think it's uh Derek White. I think what he does for that team and allow he's the puzzle piece that allows everything to go. You know, he's the, the small piece that allows it so that Tatum can go completely nuts. He does everything on the defensive end, does a lot on the offensive end. Porzingis and him in the high pick and roll between the two of them, and then kicking it off so Tatum can attack off of the second side. And when they go to that, is is stuff there? Like I think it's it's. I think when I look at it, I think Derek White has grown to me in a way where I I look at him this season and I'm like, yo, they need to have him ready to go for the playoffs. And and you can make the argument that Porzingis is number two. In terms of most important stuff. Because we know what you're gonna get from Tatum. And this isn't a shot at Tatum. Tatum's unbelievable. Right? Like that's the thing. But if this team's going to hit the high marks that they need to hit, they need those guys to really be that those those dudes. Whereas I I think they can I think they could win a playoff series in in, in, in the east without Jason Tatum. I don't think any of the other teams that we've that that the other MVP candidates those teams can win a playoff series without them, and for me, that's kind of an important thing there in the in in the most uh, in the MVP kind of argument. Is I think Boston wouldn't win a championship without Tatum, but they can win a playoff series. I don't know if the other teams can, and I think that's the uh, for me that's kind of like a, a where I'm going with the barometer of that. And I don't know if that's hot take or not, but I think that's just the way I look at it when I watch the Celtics.
1: All right, let me be clear. I think you're arguing about Derek White being the most improved, most important player is is fun. I, Jason Tatum is the most important player on the Celtics for me. He's the best <laughs> and most important player on the Celtics. Number two, look, it's not – if the season ended now, today, and Jason Tatum won MVP, it's not like I would be outraged, like this is a travesty or right? anything. I, I just don't think he's the MVP. That's all I'm saying. And it's starting as we get toward the end of the season – it's starting now as the, and the Celtics put a big gap between themselves and everybody else in terms of record and point differential. I mean, they're plus 10.5 yeah. per game or whatever it is now, which puts them in like all time, great team conversations, um, which like, fine. Like if, if that, and, and yeah, on, on the thunder, he might average 32 points a game. Um, would he be able to maintain the efficiency he's at? I don't know. I mean, she's shooting 55% Tatum shooting 48%. um, and true shooting is there's a similar gap not quite as big because tatum takes more threes but anyway that's just i just find two guys drove to work neither guy wore seatbelt one guy got a ticket one guy didn't the same two guys drove home one guy wore seatbelt one guy didn't one guy made it home the guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or tick it. Paid for by NHTSA. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths. were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, peloton has something for you get your head start on summer with peloton at onepeloton.com that's onepeloton.com I went. i asked you i gave you homework and i did the homework too i said let's pick our three most important players for the remaining 25 games slash playoffs and i said you can cheat on one of the three if you want only if you want and make it a lineup, a duo, a pairing, a coach, whatever you want to do. You can cheat. So I'm going to give you first dibs. Give me the give me number one on your list.
0: The Minnesota
1: Timberwolves in crunch time. Okay. Well, you really cheated and you cheated yeah, right I, at the I, top. I, I, right
0: at the top. I just looked at it and I just think I am for a team that is so good that we're we're excited about, I am terrified every time they're in a close game. I don't trust them I I don't
1: think their fans are too
0: yeah I mean it's just you're just and I just think when it comes to the playoffs you're going to be in a ton of close games and I think that's where they kind of lose their edge in those things they lose their head they lose their composure um Mike Connolly is uh um helpful in that area but like even then like it's it it you just see panic set in with this team in a way and they're really I think they're like 25th in net rating and in, in in clutch uh, situations. And it's just like, you're That's the worst out of all the, the, the top teams. And you're just like, guys, like you're there with the Spurs. Like, this is how bad you are at close games. That for me is the most important thing. Like if I'm the wolves, I want to be in close games all the way to the end of the playoff till the playoffs begin. Cause I need reps. I need to figure you, you, these guys need to get comfortable in this environment when it's tight and everything like that, you just see them kind of clamp and get nervous with everything and cat loses his head. And then Edward starts to lose his head. Like it gets really bad. I mean, it's a few weeks ago, but that Charlotte game they blew was just like, what are you doing? You lost to Charlotte right before Terry Rozier got traded. And it's, it's these guys all lost their composure completely. Conley didn't play that game, but That's not enough, man. Like, you got to be better than that. Like, for me, that's one of the most important things in the season
1: and the playoffs. It's interesting because the Timberwolves are number one in the West, number one defense, inside track to home court advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs. They win most of their games. Um, They don't lose very often. But every loss seems to be like a crisis. They just don't, they don't seem to have like a normal run of the mill loss. They all seem to be like crisis level losses. I've said all year, their decision making and crunch time on offense is my biggest question mark about them. I will say, every clutch statistic you cite and we all cite is a very small sample and is two games away from looking totally different. And so I do want to see them with more reps and but I do think their defense will will travel well into the playoffs. But okay, so give me number two on your list. Number two on my list is Boyan Bogdanovich. Wow. He's so. Uh, I this, thought we were going to overlap for sure on at least one. So far, we're over two. I, 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 I think we're not going to Sell me on overlap. Boyan Bogdanovich. I think for what he does for
0: the Knicks and what that team needs. Now, granted, once this is visualizing them fully healthy and all that he is the most important guy for the Knicks to get them to at least the conference finals because he's the guy that can relieve pressure off Jalen Brunson in terms of creating, get the ball in his hands and do a little bit more with all that stuff. And in in that process, he's going to find OG and Anobi. He's going to find Randall and all those guys. I think what the Knicks have been missing is just another scorer. And I think he's huge in that sense. And then when they're fully healthy, just having him in the corner just creates more space for them. And I think it opens up more more opportunities for them in that sense. Like for me, I'm really excited to watch this Knicks team when they're fully healthy because I think Boyan's going to take them to another level. I was pumped when they got that when they got him in the trade. I was like, that's kind of a perfect fit for them right now for this playoff run that they're going to need coming up in this season.
1: Yeah, I love the fit. I love the shooting. I am interested to see how it looks or if if they do it. At, I mean, we're talking about who. Closing games and what your best lineup is: Brunson, Ananobi, Bogdanovich, Randall, Center X is kind of a gigantic lineup that is three power forwards, Jalen Brunson in a center. Right. Can you actually play that lineup functionally? Ananobi may be versatile enough defensively that maybe you can, but there's no Divincenzo, there's no Hart, there, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, It's an interest. It would be interesting, but look, I. The East is almost boring to talk about in some ways because two of the main teams have major health issues right now. And it's like, it's pretty pat to just say, well, if the Knicks get healthy, if the Sixers get healthy, if everybody's healthy in April, and I mean healthy, I mean like Joel Embiid's not dragging his leg around at 75%. He's pretty healthy. Randall's healthy. He doesn't have surgery. He's healthy. I kind of think the Knicks might be the biggest threat to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference, which I didn't – as high as I was on the Knicks before the season, partly that's Embiid and the uncertainty about his injury. Partly that's the Heat, just kind of haven't found it. I think they'll find it at some point. They're kind of starting to now. The Bucs have been a mess. The Cavs, I I love the Cavs. It's just they have not – not only have they not won a playoff series together, they were embarrassed – in their only prior playoffs, which I love the way they're playing. They led my ten things column today. Cavs fans, you can go read that. I talked at Chris Fedor about them last week, etc. The Knicks, their size, their toughness, and the shooting they've added with Ananobi and Bogdanovich is kind of scary. I, I, if I were the Celtics, I wouldn't be scared of anybody, but I'd be like, oh, that's going to be annoying to play this team. Yeah, it's just you're going to be in a a brutal fight with them in the playoffs.
0: Like I think that's the kind of way I look at them, and I think their their toughness with all of that. And, you know, if, if they get Mitchell Robinson back and who knows what that, what he looks like in that regard. And then the other thing too, Zach, I value versatility. I value being able to play different ways. They can throw a lot of different things out there on the floor with the way with, with all these options they have now. And I think, you know, for me, that's a team to really keep an eye on. And, And I think Bogdanovich Brunson is the guy, but I think Bogdanovich is
1: so key to that for them for this stretch run here I just can't wait. Give me your third your third player. This is our last chance to overlap. I I feel I feel it coming cuz I have my first two I thought are obvious choices. I feel an overlap coming number 3.
0: Zion Williamson. Now we're over for 3. <laughs>
1: I, thought, I thought we might be
0: I thought we might be. I look at it this way. I think part of it is New Orleans. Nobody
1: really knows what to make of the Pelicans. But did you wa- did you watch any of Zion stuff from last night? I did not see them against the Rockets last night. I did see both their Clippers and Lakers games right before the break, and the Wizards game, too, right before the break. And there's just a lot of point Zion going on. And I wrote about today how they are running to death and no one figured out how to stop it. This right-wing, ultra-low-angle pick-and-roll where Valanchunas or Nance will screen for Zion like nine feet from the basket, and it's just no one can stop it.
0: Yeah, and, and, and he is the game last night against, uh, they, they beat Houston pretty easily 27 and nine. And, and you just watched the way Zion attacked over and over and over again. It's kind of like a rejuvenated Zion. I think I was on the podcast with you. Like we were right after new Orleans, either before new Orleans in the in season tournament or after where, uh, Zion just looked awful disinterested and whatnot it's a complete 180 was fully engaged in everything that he was doing and and the way he was attacking in the paint and whatnot I think that's the game for New Orleans and them sitting at the five seed like that's tough there I think they're a team that we tend to not talk about because we don't know what to really make of them I'm still confused about the team from time to time But they got a lot of talent. And I think, again, he's the guy, if he goes and attacks this way and finishes the season this tough, like that's a team we're going to start talking about in in terms of like, man, that's going to be a tough team to play in the first round of the playoffs with Zion attacking the way he is. Point
1: Zion, everything that goes with it. Well, here are your point differential rankings in the Western Conference. One, Oklahoma City, plus 7.5. Two, Minnesota, plus 7.3. Three Clippers plus 5.1. Four New Orleans plus 4.5 ahead of the Nuggets. They're just a really good team. I think part of the reason people, including me, don't quite know what to make of them is no B.I. last night for the Pelicans, and they're minus 15 for the season, which is basically zero with CJ BI and Zion all on the floor. And sometimes it gets a little clunky. You mentioned Minnesota and crunch time. New Orleans has been awful yeah. in crunch time all season. It's just a strange brew of players, but something about it works. And I think the tribute to that is like they start, you know, I think probably people would say one plus defensive player and Herb Jones who had seven steals last night. Talk about a five by five candidate <laughs> Herb Jones. Um, And four average to worst defenders. And yet they're in the top 10 in defense for the second straight season. There's something they are doing. Now they're getting a little lucky with opponent three-point shooting, but they're a solid team. Uh, Can I give you my three rapid fire? And by the way, like Pelicans, scary, 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 scary. Not as scary to me as the Mavs, but scary. Uh, Here are my three in order. Number one with a bullet is Chris Middleton. I think the single most important story in the NBA for the next 25 games plus playoffs is, so what are the Bucs? Like, what are we doing right now? Like, three and seven under Doc Rivers, half the teams in Cabo, coaching change, big trade, up and down play. Have they had five games the whole season where they look like a good team on both ends of the floor at the same time? I don't think they have. I don't think they've had like a three or four game stretch of that. And I talked about it a lot last week. Doc has come in. Defense is better. That's great. Offense has gone in the toilet. That's not so good. But if it's the cost of fixing the defense, having everyone's focus, mental and physical be there, fine. I can pay that cost. Dame hasn't looked the same. Then he goes to All-Star and looks like Dame again. Um, None of this matters without Chris Middleton, who just keeps getting these little injuries. He's, He's had an ankle thing for a while. He's out again. He was out before the all-star break. Well, I think he's going to come back pretty soon. We'll see. Um, he had played in a few back-to-back, maybe a couple back-to-backs, um, and the minutes had gone up, and it looked like we were trending the right way. If, if he can't be 34-minute-a-game, all-star-level Chris Middleton, I just don't see it with this team. And... All the focus on Dame and Giannis's MVP case and the coaching change and everything that comes out of Doc Rivers' mouth. What a week in the life of Doc Rivers, by the way. I've, how, I, I've lost track of how many <laughs> Doc Rivers controversies we're litigating at the same time. Um, just really, he, yeah, everyone, he's, it's a lot he's uh, at a week. None of it matters without Chris Middleton.
0: So that's my number one. That's fair. No, I mean he's such a a, a key. Uh, for them, especially again down the stretch, when teams are going to try to lock in on Dame and Giannis, he's the release valve to really kind of attack. And this is kind of what we saw with them in the finals when they won the championship. He was such he was one of the main reasons down the stretch of those games they were able to come away with the title. And I think it's fair. It's just I, I'm. It's part of me is just like I'm so worried with the injuries. I just don't know if we're going to see him really kind of be the guy we need him to be.
1: Well, look. Doc is going to have to figure out how much he likes Beauchamp and Andre Jackson Jr. and A.J. Green. What do they call him? Dairy Bird? I think Marcus Johnson calls him Dairy Bird, which I like. Um, But this is not a team that is built to be great for many more years beyond this one. They have a top three player in his absolute prime at age 29. And I know Milwaukee fans don't want to hear this, but the facts are the facts. He has spent most of the last eight months being publicly cranky about the state of the team. Um, I don't know how many media sessions he's had now where he says everything has to be better. We need to do this better, that better. Everything's got to be better, better, better. Like there's a lot of pressure on this team, and it's it's they've got to put it together, and that's it. Number two on my list was Bradley Beal. We already talked about that. Number three was where I cheated, and I don't know my I, my my level of concern about this is actually kind of unclear. It's the Nuggets bench um, because the Nuggets are still my pick to come out of the West. They have the best player in the world. They have the best two-man game in the NBA. They have the best starting five that existed before this season. The Celtics starting five is neck and neck with them for best lineup in the whole NBA. They did lose Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. Jeff Green should frankly be replaceable and I think that's not a big loss for them. Bruce Brown is Bruce Brown closed games for them. Bruce Brown played 30 plus minutes in pivotal playoff games. And so the bench is Reggie Jackson. Who's been fine. Don't love the Jackson Murray pairing when they have to go to it, but it's been fine. Christian, Christian Brown has been just okay. Playing a little better lately. Um, Peyton Watson to me is one of the more interesting players in the league. He seems to block like five shots every minute um, shooting 34% from three and really coming along. Zeke Nagy got in and had four blocks last night taking over his backup center for DJ for at least a night. And I do wonder what would have happened had Julian Strother not gotten injured and, and missed like 15, 20 games or whatever he missed. He's back now, but played garbage time last night. He's out of the rotation. I thought he was on track to be an interesting part of their bench. Maybe none of this matters because at go time, and we've seen it in games they care, they're just gonna stagger the minutes. So two of the starters are on the floor all the time and Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon playing center right. are on the floor when Jokic is on the bench. Maybe it's much ado about nothing, but Bruce Brown had moments where it was like Bruce Brown just swung this game in a two-minute stretch, helped them swing the game. Corner three, steal, whatever. I'm I'm not worried, worried, but the Nuggets made a clear choice. Or unless they pick out some pick up a buyout player, they will have made a clear choice. We're going with the young guys because we're not just building for this year. We're building for next year and the year after. And the only way to do that is to see what these dudes can do in the playoffs. I think that was a conscious choice. I can't decide if I'm concerned, but I'm curious. Where are you on the Nuggets bench?
0: I'm probably more just curious because I think some of the questions are answered with what you said, right? More staggering of Jamal and Jokic. Gordon playing the 5 in the in in the in the playoffs is more something we would see they're saving him more for that that regard. It's it's the Watson Christian Brown stuff that we're we're really curious. Can one of them fill that Bruce Brown role? And that's the the biggest question that you got to kind of keep an eye on for that. I don't know how much in the long run that matters so. You know, if if they're coming in pretty healthy with everything, I think you know, you're just going to be leaning more on your guys, more on your KCPs,
1: more on uh, Michael Porter Jr. KCP keeps getting injured, by the way. I'm a little, I'm, I'd like to see him just, even last night, you didn't play the second half of the game. I think he jammed a finger or something. I can't remember. You're right. And, 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 but I think, like, as long as they can have those guys healthy
0: with all of that stuff, the Julian Strother thing was big because I'm with you. Like, I think he was finding his way into the rotation. And I don't think there's something fans don't understand. That's how easy you get out of the rotation especially as a rookie as a rookie rookie for a coach that has had a
1: hard time trusting rookies.
0: You get hurt. You all of a sudden, you're now in a situation where it's like, okay, you miss a bunch of games. You lose the rotation, the spot in the rotation, you ramp yourself up. It's hard to get back in, into those good graces. And I think that's the thing there. Like he would have been a really nice piece to kind of come in and just, again, continue to help spread the floor or whatnot. So it's, I'm not, as concerned about that just because I think they have ways to fix it in the playoffs. And for me, a lot of times depth in the playoffs really just turns to, can you just not hurt us for four minutes till, you know, till Jokic comes back in the game or Murray or or whatnot. And I think that's kind of the, the way. So I'm not as, I'm not, I'm not worried. It's curious is a good way to put it, but not, not worried. Did you have, did you
1: make a preseason finals pick? I had, I had Denver Boston and I had Denver winning. So we had the same finals, but uh, different outcomes. Do you have do you do you allow yourself the leeway, the the perk way to change to change your pick, or do you stick with it? No, I I allow
0: myself the leeway.
1: I I cheat all the time. Are um, you
0: sticking with it, or where are you now? I'm st- I'm sticking with it now. I think if you asked me three weeks ago, I probably would have been like Clippers, but like I'm kind of listen. They got blown out by minnesota the game last night like i have i have questions with the clippers where i'm a little bit i think the clippers have a chance but it's like i need to see a little bit more because i feel like after the grammy road trip i feel like they've let down a little bit
1: which is you know natural they come in they have all this drama with harden zero and five 0 and six whatever it is then they blitz the league for 35 games and you know now it's like dog days all-star etc i i need the clippers are right if, if if i had to power rank who comes out of the West? I think I would go Denver one, Clippers two, and then from there the other top teams. Uh mode tequil, uh, read them at the athletic, read them at Bleacher Report, watch one more thing. What 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 do we have coming out? What else we got? What do you want to promote? I, I have I
0: have something actually coming out on the athletic or excuse me, on bleacher report coming about looking at the uh potential free agents and who should potentially just think about staying where they're at.
1: All right. Well, Dekil, thank you, sir. I hope to see you in Los Angeles soon. It's always a pleasure to chop it up with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me.